Today on the channel, we're doing the Podski 100, numbers 40 through 31. And the Podski starts now. The Podski with John Baker. For over one year, the revolutionary force in audio entertainment. to another episode of the podski i am your host the man of a thousand gimmicks johnny bake show we got teddy mongoose we got justin andretti in here today and we're gonna be taking a look at our next installment of the podski 100 we're doing numbers 40 through 31 so we got this is by far the best list that we have so far uh but what's going on guys coming to you coming to you live from a snowy mongoose den up, up, up over here, man! Oh, man! Old baby mongoose. Uh, what is this? Tomorrow, delayed tomorrow. This is going to be a rough drop off because, to you know, to to six year olds, five days might as well be five years. So she's going to act like she never has to go to school again. So that's it. That'll be God's war in the morning. So Jesus, take the wheel. What's going on, Andretti? Nothing, man. Just super busy with work and everything, and you know it's it's been it's been fifteen hour days the last couple of days, so it's it's uh it's that time of year. Hey, quick plug there, John. Before we get into the business, um, just because we are at our heart a wrestling pod, um, anybody that has twenty extra dollars uh, or subscribes to NJPW World, go watch Battle in the Valley because yeah. Battle in the Valley was better than the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, it was. John, watch Battle in the Valley. I know you've been a busy guy on the weekends and whatnot, too. It is, it's four hours, so it's a long show. You know, it's not one of those ones you just, like, probably take in all at once. It took me two and a half days to watch it. But I'm telling you, man, top to bottom, it was a better show than the Tokyo Dome. And the last two matches is uh, Moxley and Shingo in a no DQ, which is everything that you would expect Moxley and Shingo in a no DQ to be. And Will Ospreay and uh, Kazuchika Okada had a match in front of 3,000 people that they literally wrestled as if they were in front of 30,000 because it was their last time working together in New Japan. Uh, They were crying, embraced each other at the end, all kinds of stuff. It's awesome, man. So if if you don't do anything else, watch the last hour and a half-ish of the show. But everybody, if you got the time, watch that show because we'll be talking about that show at awards time. I would recommend watching it on the app with the Japanese commentary uh, because if you if you watch it with the English, you're going to be uh, you're going to be hitting the mute button quite a quite a bit. Vita Scott is a lot, but Filthy Tom comes in about halfway through. And the funny thing with that is, I was listening to Observer Live today, and he was on. And um, Alvarez sort of let the cat out of the bag that they gave him, like, no warning to come down and do commentary. So I'm assuming that they uh, that was break glass in case of emergency. Tom, come save the broadcast. 
And he and did he a did. great job. He really he did, did a great because, job. I mean, it's just one of those you don't want to you don't want to bag on people too much, man. But when you when you have no training and you don't seek out training and you just do your own thing, you, you're probably going to get worse at it, or you're going to get a lot better at it. And some people get worse at it over time, and that's kind of what happened with her doing commentary where she's just she's just talking over the other guy the whole time and in the, the, the honestly the worst part about it is not even her fault because I don't, I don't know I don't know how this happens but her mic ends up getting turned higher than the other people's mics when she does commentary and I don't know why that is I mean that has to be a, a production issue and not even really her fault but she just comes across so much louder than the other people do that it's 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 just too much man too i'd much. want that i'd want that written into my contract if, if i was going to be doing commentary <laughs> i mean it, it's just it's too much man she's got to she's got to really learn to to shut up is what it is and i'm not look i'm not trying to be an asshole you guys know like you know I, i'm i'm a big supporter of of women being a part of wrestling and always have been and always will be especially in the ring or doing commentary or whatever but a big part of being a sports commentator is knowing when to shut the fuck up. And she just doesn't know. She doesn't know that yet. And John, just much. gloves are off right now for Andrea. And, and for your reference, John, this is the show that um, Mercedes wrestled Kyrie at last year. Yeah. So, so yeah. So like, it's, it, it's good, man. Check it out. Yeah. We did a review of that show in the archives. So check that out. Uh but if you are back here, this is the normal wrestling show. So if you're looking for Dolphins talk, that ain't that's whatever. That's we're 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 already moving on. But really quick, I'm sorry to do this again. Listen to that. So Dolphins talk. I don't care if you like the Dolphins. I don't care if you don't like the Dolphins. I don't care if you don't know what American professional football is. Listen to that. So Dolphins talk. 45 of the best minutes of your week every week, I guarantee it. And as terrible as it is to say, the worse the Dolphins play, the better the show is. So just check check it out, everybody. I mean, listen, I, I don't listen to it every week, but listening to Trey go off the deep end and just sounding like he's going to blow his brains out every time there's a game is like I, I I know him as a person, so it makes me laugh really hard every every time I hear it. But him just down in the doldrums, man, and he can't even pull himself out of it. And he's just in a, in a complete depression about anything and everything. I mean, you guys are on there, on there ripping players apart. People, I don't even, I have no idea who those players are. And you guys are on there just assaulting people. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. I, the two, my two favorite things from this past week were John literally predicted this, the outcome of the chiefs dolphins game the week before and during the Chiefs Dolphins game, John acted like he was completely blindsided by this, and he couldn't even handle the lo- like the bludgeoning that was occurring. Um, and then after this week's, uh, Trey said out loud, trying trying to be serious, and my God, is it so fake that this team duped me? I am never going to let this happen again. I will not be this invested in the Dolphins in the future. Dude, Trey is going to spend three hundred dollars on Dolphins merch by the draft. Yeah. So, so like it's just a total lie. I mean, look, I, I don't watch that much NFL, but I watched obviously I watched the Steeler game and I watched as much of the um, you know as much of the uh, the Dolphins as I could stomach without wanting to throw up. But um, mm-hmm. dude, nobody could tackle. That's the problem. I mean, that, that, my biggest my biggest complaint with with all these games, even with these playoff teams, nobody wants to tackle anybody, and it's it's really. 
It's really strange, man. That just the the level the level of quality play on the defensive side, in my opinion, has gone downhill. But look, they're still great players and everything, and and it's worth it's worth watching and all that. But you know, it's 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 just when you see guys just trying to throw shoulders into people and not wrap up, it's it's really stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that Eagles game was something. I don't know in, in terms of in terms of tackling. Like I was, ho- I was hoping that I was hoping JC was going to be here because I thought we were all going to have a big roundtable talking a bunch of noise on the Steelers and Dolphins. It, 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 yeah, just just slow <laughs> violin in the whole time. Just up there's going to be there's going to be big changes on all three of those teams, man, and it, and it's all completely warranted and very needed for sure. For sure. All right, well, let's get into the list today. We got 10. Uh, we got 10 coming up here. This is 40 through 31. So if you have not checked out the Posky 100, you can go back into the archives and you can see who has uh, been revealed so far. And that is up on your screen if you're following along on YouTube. Uh, and if you're also watching on YouTube, and I know that like the UK audience, they're super upset that we always talk American football. Uh, that's why we have timestamps and you, the timestamps are clearly there. So don't be afraid to click them and jump around and do whatever you want. Um, but the, uh, 100 through. I'll put over the UK. I'll put over the UK right now. I've got, I've got family on my grand's side is all from Wales. You know, it is what it is, man. I, I don't watch the premier league as much as I should, but I'm a Tottenham fan. That's my team. If I had to pick a team, that's who it is, man. And I'm 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 in on the UK. I, I've been to London. I had a hell of a good time in London. You know what my favorite thing is about being in London? The fact that American men are a little more aggressive, in generally speaking, than uh, men in the UK. So every time I would go into a coffee shop, I would purposely flirt with the barista at the coffee shop, and they would blush, and it would make me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got. I think a great Great British Breaking Show is is incredible. But I got three words for you, UK audience. If you don't want to hear dolphins talk, pipe down, bruv. Yeah, pipe down, bruv. How about my <laughs> my girl, my girl Rapneet on <laughs> on the uh, Great British Breaking Show and uh, uh, Mongoose? What's the uh, Ruby? Ruby's the one that that you and I. Ruby, yeah, Ruby. With the with the cake porn on um on, yep. on Instagram, man. I mean, I would I would risk it all just to have her bake me a cake. I think. <laughs> Bless. Uh, but all right, let's get into the list here. We are starting it off with number forty, and he comes in with two hundred and seven votes. He was uh, number fifty seven on Andretti's list. He was fifty nine on Mongoose's list. He was thirty three on mine. And he was 43 on JC's list, and that is the Mayor Kane. And I, I personally, I love Kane. I, one of my favorite, and then I know that a lot of people they have absolutely no idea. Especially like at least in my generation, or at least my age bracket, I had no idea that Isaac Yankum was Kane. And uh, whenever he revealed his mask in uh, 2003, I was terrified. He was a legit monster. Um, I think that that is some of his best character work ever whenever he was unmasked. Not the original, uh, not not like that first, like him becoming that monster for that year and then doing all those matches with Shane and uh, RVD, like all of that stuff I thought was fantastic work. Um, I know that Mongoose, uh, baby Mongoose, big lover of Kane, um, what is... What is one match that you would throw on for Baby Mongoose? Oh, without a doubt, it's the uh, Mania 14 match. 
I have watched that Mania 14 match with her. Now, and I, I should preface it by saying that her wrestling watching has dried up as she's gotten older. Oh. Um, but but we spent a solid two years of, of her being into the product. And the Mania 14 match is number one with a bullet, um, but a close second. Uh, she loved the 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 one with the the mask reveal at the end. Um, so that I would have that up there very high. And there is, a, it's a buried alive match. And the problem is, there's so many buried alive matches in the mid 2000s that I can't remember exactly which one it is. But it is, it's the one with the crane, where where they end up burying. It's I, it might even be him and Taker. I, I think and, it's Survivor Series. Uh, okay, three Survivor. Uh, I, I can't. I should have wrote this down before we started talking about them. But th- those three would be my top three. I'm pretty sure it's Survivor Series 2003 because Undertaker does the switch and comes back as Dead Man at WrestleMania 20. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you know what, though, dude? The crazy thing about Kane is that uh, Isaac Yankum, I loved Isaac Yankum. I, I mean, I hated him when I was a kid, but I, as I've gotten older, I've really grown to love Isaac Yankum. Just the fact that Jerry Lawler's Dennis came in and his entrance music was literally just drill sounds. All that stuff is so good. Um, but you know what's really incredible about Kane is that when we went and did some of those retro re- rewatches and things like that, this dude is in ladder matches as a base. And ladder matches as a base when he's in his late 30s and is not out of place at all. Like, he's in those Money in the Bank matches especially. Like, that's... There's talent there, man. Like, I give him a lot of credit. And and I always would have thought of him as just being a slow, prodding, you know, obviously, like, supernatural kind of ripoff. Um, but my gosh, man, he's he, he's really deep as far as what he was able to do in the ring. Um, and, I mean, he's never going to be, like, an Observer Hall of Fame guy or anything. But he's absolutely deserving of being in this, like, top 50 especially. And I'm glad that he's here. Well, the thing that I, I like about it, too, is that the fact that it wasn't really ever supposed to go anywhere. It was supposed to be just a guy that they brought in because they needed to feed, to feed bodies to The Undertaker, you know. And it became – it got so hot, man, that they ended up running with it. And the guy made a, you know, 20-year 20, 20 career out of it. But, you know, if you want to see something really great, um, in addition to some of the matches you guys were talking about, man, like go go watch that A&E the A&E WWE bio on Kane is really, really good. It's one of the better ones, I think. Um, all of them are pretty good, you know, but uh, the one on Kane and just talking about his his background growing up and stuff in, in Missouri um, and whatnot was really interesting. It's it's a, it's a, Maybe it was Tennessee, I forget. But, uh, you know, it was uh, um, a really good look at him and kind of, you know, talking about, you know, what his journey was going through, you know, Smoky Mountain and all that stuff. And it was – it's really cool. But, I mean, that character, man, there's there's – it's just it's one of those things kind of like the undertaker where you know you put that you put that gimmick on anybody else and it dies a quick death right the undertaker or or with kane but i mean those guys you know they just made it work man and they they were so good together you know doing those matches back and forth and even with the tag team stuff with the brothers of destruction and stuff and, and whatnot like what it, it, he he really took that thing and became one of the most iconic characters in not only WWE history, but especially in the last last thirty years, That's- I'm really I'm really glad you brought up the Brothers of Destruction because how about this? This dude, this big red machine, uh, 
that killed the Undertaker's parents, and maybe Paul Bearer was his dad. Okay, all these things. This dude had an insane tag team with Undertaker, had an awesomely over tag team with X-Pac. Kane and X-Pac was freaking awesome. Was. Um, there is there is the lore that Kane came, came, came out in the lime green um, suit at one point in time at a house show or whatever. Um, and then we had the, the Kane and Daniel Bryan dynamic. Like, to be able to go... And not only team with, you know, Twin Towers-like, because obviously him and Taker together is a natural fit, but then to be able to pair yourself with two very different personalities, which Waltman and uh, Danielson obviously are, and play off of them is really, really cool. And totally underrated promo that's just somewhere in the YouTubes probably. Uh, it would ha almost have to be cut up is that one where it's Kane and Hulk Hogan and The Rock right after the Mania match, and Kane does the, the Canaanites deal, yeah. where he's like the millions and millions of Canaanites, and he breaks Rock, like right there. That's that's all really good too, man. Yeah, I mean, this, this guy, this guy is, he is very top tier, and I'm very happy to be looking at a poster of him down here in the the man cave that uh beautiful bakey got the baby mongoose for christmas a couple of years ago and to this day in her bedroom uh trigger tray friend of the pod dolphin uh dolphin aficionado got her an undertaker and kane um stare down poster that's up in her bedroom man so kane kane's over in his house Yes, some accolades here for Kane is uh, he was a one-time WWF champion, one-time uh, world heavyweight champion, ECW champion. He was a WCW tag team champion with Undertaker, two-time intercontinental champion, a hardcore champion, 24-7 champion. Uh, he was, won the tag team champions twice with uh, Big Show and Daniel Bryan, and uh, he won the WWF tag team championship nine times. Mankind, Undertaker, Hurricane. God, I love that. I Rock forgot about that. That's another one. Yeah. He's the third Grand Slam champion. He's the eighth Triple Crown champion, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2001. And there for the longest time, he had the longest time spent in a Royal Rumble. Yeah, and for a guy that came who had to kind of go through a couple gimmicks that didn't get anywhere, you know, the the fake diesel thing, the Isaac Yankum thing, and then they finally found the right, the right one for him, man. Hats off to that guy for just taking taking the ball and running for that, running with it. I mean, a guy that size that can move that well, man, you've got to find something you can do with that guy, and I'm really glad it, it, that, that the Kane thing took off. Imagine imagine debuting in a company as fake diesel. Yes. And, or I guess it would have been, it would have been Isaac Yankum, but – Coming in, then it's fake diesel. So you're a dentist, fake diesel, and then you end up literally the fo the folly fo foil, not folly, the foil of the most iconic character in company history. Like that's that's really awesome. Sure. Number thirty nine on the countdown came coming in with two hundred and twenty votes. He was on Andretti's list at 42. He was on Mongoose's list at 34. He was on my list at 57. And he was on JC's list at 51. And that is Tetsuya Naito. So we'll let Mongoose take it away here. 
first off, John. Tell the story. Tell the story about your father-in-law. I'll, I'll get there. Uh, John, I will send you the clip. Please put in the Naito Wrestle Kingdom roll call here. Okay, so Tetsuya Naito, I was exposed to after having my first New Japan match I ever watched was Kenny and Okada, um, and then that got me into the Axis whenever it was on Axis television, and Naito at first uh, really stood out, obviously because of his hair, right, for no other reason than just because of his big, bushy, messy hair, and this dude oozed charisma, and I watched the G1 then in, um, I, I had gone back uh, because Axis was playing them, and they played all the G1 matches from that year, and I saw his finals match with Kenny Omega in the, uh, I guess it would have been 20, 2017 G1, um, and him and Omega had a six-star match, and legit, like, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. I'm jumping around in the middle of the day during the summer or whatever they played. Um, and this dude has it. Uh, and so everything from his entrance to Destino, the move itself, uh, the charisma that this guy has, how over he is, and then what he's been able to do, absolutely top-notch. First ever unifies the IWGP and the Intercontinental Championship. Um, the only bad thing is he got his run uh, probably two years too late because if he would have beaten Okada in the year that uh, Omega would have wrestled uh, Jericho, that would have been the one. And, John, we watched that together. Yeah. And the bad thing is that main event was actually sort of a letdown because of how insane that crowd was for Naito, and they didn't do the title change then. They tried to crown the king with the unifying the belts thing. And it's not like it fell flat, but man, that would have been something to see if they'd have let him run with it there. I would say that Naito is one of the most entertaining and one of the most confident people that is in the industry in in the ring uh, right now, I would say. Um, well, and, and really quick, the you saying that he's getting older and he's hurt more and he's, not he's he's still incredible you know what i'm saying like he is one of those it's not even smoke and mirrors you want to talk about those old do those old dogs that know how to work and know how to get over in the in the ring and in the in the arena it's him man and it's all personality it's all charisma i mean the fact that that guy's still working almost every day of the week is is just outrageous the the quality of matches that he still has and he's working as much as he is i mean Tanahashi, same same deal you know but for Naito, man, it's it's kind of what you were saying. You know, it kind of he's a little bit he's a little bit overshadowed by Tanahashi and even with Okada, um, just from a timing standpoint and not running with him when they should have. And that's a shame, but because the guy, I mean, I mean, PWI missed him. <laughs> I mean, PWI better make him number one. They better make him number one next year, you know, to make up for that. But uh, 
you know, look, he's got the belt now, and it, 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 we'll see how it goes. You know, he's probably going to have the belt for a while. Um, I don't think they're going to take it off of him anytime soon. He's probably going to end up having that belt to wrestle Kingdom. Let's be honest. So that's 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 probably what's going to happen. So hey, just enjoy the ride, man. He's one of the he's one of the best guys of this generation. He's one of the best guys of the last twenty five years, probably, especially in New Japan. Um, just being able to get to see him get a get a big run on top again towards the end of his career is, is special. And and to say really fast too that um, you know. He, it's not like he doesn't have big things on the horizon. This match with Moxley is going to be a major, major, major deal. Um, I'm hoping that we build, we crescendo this against Suji, and him versus Suji should literally be almost like Mega Powers Collide style. Whenever they do that, they got a long um, way. To, they got a long way to go to set that up. And and you you hope that now the groundwork's laid, right? We we sort of slog through the slog, and let's get to it. Um, that really quick with my father-in-law that, you know, the crazy thing with that is that we were together at the beach watching the collision where Naito came before the uh, Forbidden Door show. And the Jericho is with Suzuki and they're lost La- Suzuki or whatever. And Sting and Darby say, here's our partner. And then they show and it's Naito. And Naito walks out in this black suit. And, dude, it's not like I've seen every Naito match ever. I have not. But I have seen Naito wearing a white suit to the ring for five years. And he comes on this black suit, and my father-in-law is like, oh, man, you know, uh, or excuse me. Let, me, let me correct myself. He comes out in a white suit, and he's, my father-in-law says he changed his ring gear. And I'm thinking, like, um, you fake it till you make it, right, brother? Like, that's all. And then at the actual show, he came out in a black suit. And my father-in-law is like, that's the Naito I know. And I'm laughing to myself or whatever. Naito has worn a black suit to the ring since then. Like, it's just so <laughs> crazy that he comes out in the same white suit that I've seen him in for five years. And he says he changed his ring gear. And I'm like, right, 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 right. And um, then he comes out in black, and my father-in-law is like, you know, that's my man, you know, that's my cowboy or whatever. And, and uh, yeah, it was absolutely somehow proven right, I guess. <laughs> you know, and, again, I have not seen every Naito match ever, but I only just remember him coming to the ring in that white suit. So that was awesome. That, that popped the boys pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, really quick, John, before you go, uh, three Naito matches you absolutely need to see is going to be him and Okada where he wins and unifies the IWGP belts uh, with the Intercontinental. You need to see him versus Omega. And then you absolutely should watch him beat Okada or Osprey, either of those or both of those in the G1 this year because they're all awesome. But his whole catalog's great. Sure. Yeah, some of his accolades here for in New Japan, he is the current world uh, heavyweight champion. He has won the heavyweight championship three times. Uh, he's a six-time intercontinental champion, IWGP junior heavyweight champion, and uh, never openweight champion. Won the G1 in 2013, 2017, and 2023. Won the New Japan Cup in 2016. Uh, and then Tokyo Sports, he won the best bout award with Okada in uh, 2020. He won the MVP award four times in 2016, 17, 2020, and 2023. And for the Observer, he uh, won Most Charismatic in 2017, 2018, Best Gimmick in 2017 with Los Angeles Bernabes, 
and uh, Japan MVP in 2020, and he was inducted into the Observer Hall of Fame in 2022. I'm glad you brought up the the faction because he is he's as close to the kingmaker as you can make in that promotion, man. Mm-hmm. You get an LIJ and you're getting the rocket. Um, Evil has held that belt. Uh, Sonata has held that belt. Yodasuji will hold that belt. Hiromu is is synonymous with the light heavyweight championship. Um, the only one that I guess sort of gets forgotten about I, a little bit would be Bushi. But Bushi is in the light heavyweight stuff all the time. Um, and he's number one in the roll call. So we will never forget about Bushi. Oh, my God. And Shingo. My God, I almost yeah. forgot about Shingo. And Shingo is everything. Shingo's light heavyweight, also, world also heavyweight. Was also was champ. Yeah. Oh, and, and Teton. Teton, shout out to Andretti there because Teton's Teton. one of the best, one of the best luchas in the world. The hands probably top five guy, if not, if not top four at this point. Number 38. Coming in with 227 votes. He came on Andretti's list at 28. That might be the highest we've seen so far. Uh, we got Mongoose at 53. He was on my list at 71. And uh again, JC's list at 26. So and that is Booker T. So Andretti, take it away on Booker T. I mean, what an athlete! What an athlete! I think it's the first thing that jumps out to me about this guy. But as soon as as soon as he came on the scene, he jumped off the screen. Is what it was, you know. I mean, you watch that guy in the, in the Harlem Heat days, like when they first came into WCW. I mean, they were immediate. It, it was immediate that those guys were going to be tag team champs at some point, just just from an athleticism standpoint. I mean, um, I I love Booker T for a lot of reasons. I think, um, you know, especially with the in-ring, not the greatest commentator in the world, but with the the in-ring stuff, man, I mean, just the fact that, you know, when they purchased WCW and they – um, had the opportunity to buy those contracts or just let them let those guys go home and, and you know let them go. Um, Booker T was a guy that was champ in WCW and had a, a, an unbelievable career in WCW. But then you know coming over to the WWE is a much different story, right? I mean it's 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 a different ball game, and for him to be a guy that made that transition from WCW to WWE, he's he's the number one guy who was able to do that. Out of all those people that we've seen come over, um, Booker T was the guy that had the biggest career and, and, and the, was the biggest superstar out of all of them. I think that's really a testament to him, um, the fact that he was willing to, to just kind of, you know, be a little silly when he needed to be. Um, had, he's got great comedic timing, um, was a guy that was willing to do anything. You know, he had a great run as the king, you know, also. But, I mean, what the number one thing for me that just jumps out for, is just going to be the athleticism, man. And seeing him, you know, jump all over the ring and do the, the spin-a-rooney and the heel kick and all that kind of, you know, the Harlem sidekick and all that. Um, I mean, it's fantastic. What a, what, a, what a career that guy had, too, man. Yeah, I man, Booker T, he's a part of my one of my favorite tag teams of all time. Him and Goldust in that early 2000s run is fantastic. Uh, he had the moment with uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin in the supermarket. Um, I mean, he he's had so many good moments, and it really does suck that we all know that I'm a big Triple H mark here on the show, but it really does suck that he he should have went over in that WrestleMania 19 match, he probably should have got the title belt then. Um, if you want, if you want to see a really special moment with him, um, I know it was the the dying days of WCW when it happened, but 
go find the WCW match where he eventually he finally wins that title, man. And that place explodes. They blow the roof off because everybody had been waiting for him to become the heavyweight champion at WCW for a long time, especially at the end there, the end there where, you know, it was, it was, you know, those guys at the end that were, they were trading the belt back and forth. But when Booker T finally does win that belt, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it's the show where um, Hogan and Hogan and Russo get into it. Right. And then, then later in the main event, Booker T ends up winning the belt. I think it was, was that, that, was that a bass? Was that a bash at the beach? I don't know what show it was, but I think it was the one where they had they had the big confrontation or whatever, and then and then Booker wins the belt in the main event, and it, and that place explodes, man. It's a really special moment to see that. So I would recommend everybody go find that and check that out. Yep, that's Bash at the Beach 2000. Yeah, I got Booker at 53, and the reason that it, I have other people higher is it was a default to my Observer Hall of Fame rule. Um but I have him like right on that next tier. And the reason is because the, as Andretti said, the tag team was so everything. Harlem heat was so great, man, especially the transition from Colonel Robert Parker over to um, Sherry, which Sherry Martell with those guys was absolute magic, man. Um, And he just jumped off the screen as, you know, he was the Sean to the Marty, you know, and he was, he was the sort of the, the face of that team and the one that you thought could really go with it. And when WCW was dying, um, I'd be lying if I said I was paying any attention because I wasn't. But then when he came over, I didn't take him at all as being, you know, some uh, whatever, like leftover or holdover geek. Um, He was credible right away. And as Andretti said, man, his work proved it. And the fact that he was able to, not only navigate through that transition time where they were just beating all of those WCW guys to death. Um, he, you know, treaded through, got through that into the comedy team. Like you said, with gold dust was great stuff. Uh, had that little mini NWO run, which I mean, that all got short circuited with Nash's injury and all that, that happened there. Um, but then to find himself in the title scene, and you said it, John, that him not winning that belt against Triple H, it's a black mark, or black eye, rather, but eh, whatever. Like, at the end of the day, he ended up getting his moment. He ended up getting his runs. Um, it would have really meant something to get that at WrestleMania. That would have been great. And that was something where, uh, you know, now where every time we have a uh, – we need a def- – or a, a what do you call it? A title match or a contender in AEW, especially we see battle Royals and in the WWE, we see four ways and three ways like that sort of set the bar for that, for that television battle Royal match to find a contender after the Royal rumble. And when Booker won that people went nuts, they really did. And it's a shame that the build of the match was the way that it was for him to not win at the end. But the best part about it and the reason that I kept him so high is that you got to be something special to come out on the other side of that and still be okay. And he really did. You know, that would have killed a lot of careers, man. Um, I don't know if it would have been either the crowd or just the wrestler or whatever, you know, might go into that. But he didn't lose his stride. He kept on keeping on and stuck around with the company, got his world title runs later. Like you said, King Booker stuff all good, and then here he is now running Reality of Wrestling, and he's on NXT. I, I wish he wasn't, but 
he's there. <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought so, that up about reality of wrestling. So I wanted to put that over too. Uh, you know, and look, when I when I say this, you know, this is not indie wrestling. Reality of wrestling is not indie wrestling. Okay, these are people who are part of an academy. They go to school there. Okay, the shows that they put on are are people from their own academy that they showcase on their weekly show. Okay, it's like they, like Creative Pro, huh? Like Creative Pro. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you something, man. Those shows are fun. They're very good. The production is good for what it is. They actually get a pretty decent crowd for this. If you got a chance to find reality wrestling on, on YouTube or or you're in the Houston area and you get a chance to go to a show or you want to check it out, you know, wherever else online, I'm telling you, man, you're not going to be disappointed because those shows are good. They've had really talented women's, women come out of there, you know, pretty recently. Roxanne Perez is one that came out of there, you know, they're trained there. And there's there's a handful of guys that are in that promotion too. Um, Mysterious Q wrestles down there who's really good. Um, uh, Will Alday, Gino Medina, those are all people who you're going to see, man. You're going to see these people, whether it's going to be AEW or NXT or whatever it ends up being down the road. There really is good talent there, man. And and, and Booker T and his wife and, and the rest of that crew – they do a really good job developing those people, man. That's it's something to keep an eye on. If you're if you're like me and you like seeing the stars before they become stars, you want to check out reality wrestling for sure. It's it is on the Fight Triller app, and I know this because my recently watched has 500 of those shows, and I've never seen one of them. Wow! So that's all, all good, it's all it's all Andretti. It's <laughs> so, all good stuff. So yeah, my recently stuff. watched is is all Andretti in there, peep, peeping himself a little bit of reality wrestling. I'm telling you, man, you jump into those shows, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. They're, they do a really nice job with, the, with that talent. And the accolades for Booker T here, uh, he was WCW World Heavyweight Champion four times. He was television champion six times, U.S. Heavyweight Champion one time, won the Tag Team Championships ten times as Harlem Heat, and he was the ninth WCW Triple Crown winner. In WWE, he was one-time WCW Champion uh, during the Invasion. And he won the World Heavyweight Championship one time, WCW World Tag Team Champion, Intercontinental Champion, uh, three-time United States Champion, King of the Ring in 2006. He went in to the Hall of Fame two times as an individual in 2013, and then in 2019 went in uh, with the Harlem Heat. And he is the eighth Grand Slam Champion. He also, for the Observer, won Most Underrated in 2002, so... Uh, even they knew back then as well. Number 37 coming in with 234 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 76. He was on Mongoose's list at 25. He was on my list at 32 and JC's list at 37. And that is Terry Funk. Take it away, Mongoose. See, I'll kick us off, and I have him this high only because of the Observer role, A, and when I actually saw him, he was always great. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so there's my B. Um, was he, if I was going to go through a list of 100 wrestlers that like really changed the game for me, he would be closer to where probably... Either Andretti, I, I, I'd actually say I'd probably have him rated, cl- rated closer where Andretti has him because you and JC both have him high. Uh, because impact-wise to me, it was low. However, I'm here to give about, uh, the man his just desserts because 
He is obviously, he was, if not an initial Hall of Famer in the Observer, he was right there in the beginning. Um, This guy comes in as Chainsaw Charlie was my first exposure to him. And for him to walk around with pantyhose on his head, being a crazy person and just getting killed to death by the New Age Outlaws, uh, I thought that that was awesome. He goes to WCW, dude, and this this is not a good thing, but he retires Bret Hart because Bret Hart gets his kick to the head from Goldberg and then proceeds to have a series of insano matches with Terry Funk all the time that are all great. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with any of these, but that, you know, that continued damage to Bret was what sort of ended it there. But then he wasn't done yet, man. And you go back and look, and I saw, uh, and this is stuff that I was able to actually learn through The Observer, was like that angle with Ric Flair, um, where, you know, it's his idea to have that punch. And I forget, I wish I should have wrote this down, what he called it. He called it like the Sunday or something like that, you know, where he, where they're going to do the the heel turn. Um, he's, he's an icon, and he's synonymous with pro wrestling. And the big reason that I have him as high as I do is that my father-in-law, it's just two shots out to you, Tone, um, but my father-in-law, when he talks pro wrestling, still talks about seeing the Funks in Amarillo. And I, I, I know that that predates our cutoff of the Hogan title a little bit, but I, I am here to bend the knee to people that deserve to be where they should. I slighted some New Japan guys, and I've slighted some Mexican guys because I haven't seen them. I've right. seen Terry. Oh, and I should put over, too, um, the ECW stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that match with Sabu, where Sabu cuts his bicep on the on the barbed wire, and then all of a sudden, like, his arm's about to fall off, and he keeps trying to tape it. Great stuff, man. So, yep. Yeah, I, I've seen Terry Funk be amazing in three different companies, no less. And so that's why he deserves that. I think that I my, my first uh, introduction to Terry Funk might actually have been either through the LJN or through um, um, Over the Top or Paradise Alley. And <laughs> you want to see a movie with some pro wrestling overtones. Stallone wrote Paradise Alley and stars in Paradise Alley. And it's really great because the main character, their their younger brother, does the double turn. Well, actually, the brothers do the turn. So Stallone starts out as the as the heel brother. Armando Santi is the is the face brother. And about halfway through, they do the double turn, and then Stallone ends up being the good guy, and Armando Santi ends up being the bad guy towards the end of it. But what a, what a hell of a movie that is, man! Paradise Alley, check it out. Um, but Terry Funk is in that. Um, you know, the thing the thing I love about Terry Funk too, man, it's just like. He's always kind of been um, like the old school um, wrestler's wrestler, right? Like like you were saying about your father-in-law, right? Like people like your father-in-law love Terry Funk, right? Stuff like that. So I've always really appreciated that about him. Um, I drive through Amarillo, you know, once every couple of years. Um, I'm definitely going to try to find the Double Cross Ranch, you know, next time I'm down there. Because I've been to I've been to the Hard House. I've been to Castle Cornet. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to go to these like, iconic wrestling places, right? I gotta find a double cross ranch. So I got I gotta go to that in Amarillo. But the next time I'm in Amarillo and I and I jump off uh jump off I forty and go to CC's buffet, I'm gonna <laughs> the pizza buffet, I'm gonna <laughs> have to pull up the double cross ranch on on uh 
on the internet and try to find the location. Just go check it out. But you know, it's great too. Cause that, the, the, um, the, uh, what's the documentary that was, that was, uh, beyond the mat, beyond, beyond the, the mat. mat. Yeah. The beyond the mat one where, you know, it's the Terry Funk retirement show, you know, and, and Bret Hart is there and it's in the barn and there's a million people, man. Like what a, what a great venue, man, to see, to see wrestling. You get to see Bret Hart in a, in a barn like that. And, and Terry Funk, I mean, the, the Dennis, call. Den, Dennis Stamp on a trampoline, training, so training to so, hopefully be there. Oh my God, so great! <laughs> and then you know the fact that Funk retired six thousand times. The matches that he had in WCW and NWA with like Flair and everybody else. I mean, just a phenomenal, phenomenal run, man. Really, really, really a guy that you that you know. The more you watch of that guy, the more you end up liking him. I'm glad you brought up that LJN because I I'm remiss in forgetting to plug. Anybody that's that cares, go watch that Saturday night main event with him and Hogan. Oh yeah. Because because that's great. You're you're gonna see both of those guys go to work. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, my uh my, my, I I remember Funk, and this is gonna show how young and naive I am. The my introduction to Funk was whenever I saw him <laughs> lugging out there to check on mankind during the Hell in a Cell match. And him just going out there thinking that uh, Foley's dead and he's just the first guy out there every time. Uh, also, I'm glad you brought up Paradise Alley and Over the Top because he was also in Roadhouse, which would be the actual first time I ever saw him because I have no, I had no idea it was Terry Funk, uh, but I love Roadhouse. He putting over uh, Roadhouse immensely. And he was also in Friday Night Lights as a fan, which I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Didn't know that either. Uh, but yeah, I Terry Funk... There, what more can you say? Everyone, if you don't love Terry Funk, fuck you. Because, like, <laughs> like, Terry Funk. Um, yeah, Got to plug this too, John, before you get into the accolades and everything. Uh, John Moxley is Terry Funk 2024. Yeah. Like, he does his same sell. The way, like, that thing where he, like, stands and, and not flare flops, but, like, does that, like, just, you know, throwing his arms around, like, those punches like i'm so out of it i don't know what to do and so when you have people that are like top of the card now that have these little funk homages to them that that makes a big deal too so that you got to plug that that as well i'm looking at the uh the ljn right now on ebay to see if there's anything on here because i want to i have to get the hat the hat the hat has to be a part of it but terry funk's one of the ones i definitely did not have so if i can if I can find this Terry Funk LJN with the hat, I'm going to pull the trigger on this here pretty pretty shortly. I have the uh, Coliseum collection downstairs. He's yeah, I I, I, I did I had that when whenever I had my LJN collection, I had a complete Funker, and that was not a cheap one. But thankfully, whenever I put him back on the bay, there was return. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I do, I do was, have I have the uh, I have the uh, the Jacks classic superstar with the straight pants the the red white and black pants i have that one i think that might be the only one i have for for funk yeah that that coliseum collection is a great figure though yeah it really is great figure yes uh accolades here for terry funk uh observer he has a lot of accolades here he won best brawler best heel best interviews hardest worker and feud of the year all for 1989 uh the feud of the year was with rick flair and he was an Observer Hall of Famer in 1996. Uh, in WWF, he was the tag team champion with Cactus Jack. Uh, Hall of Fame class of 2009. 
Um, he won the Lifetime Achievement Award in Tokyo Sports in 1983 and a Match of the Year Award in 1980, which kind of goes further back to what our list kind of lets us go. But um, in Jim Crockett, NWA, uh, United States Heavyweight Champion, two times, uh, Hardcore Champion, three times. He was in the WCW Hall of Fame in 95. Not sure what weight that holds anymore. Uh, but he also won the uh, the Iron Mike Award in the Cauliflower Hour Club in uh, 2005. I think that that, uh, that feud, uh, the feud of the year with, with Flair is whenever Funk came in to do commentary, right? And then turned on Flair? That that was the one where I said to Andretti that and I I wish I could remember the term, but he called the the punch like the 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 like the the Sunday morning or something like that. And when I heard what he called that, I freaking died just because like of course you're gonna call the that punch that move. Like when I punch one of you guys, when I finally turn, like I do, I want to call it like the the you You've know rotten, for a long time. Yeah, the rotten Tuesday. You know what I mean? And and not Tuesday, but the Tuesday. Yeah, I'm gonna give them a rotten Tuesday. That that watch, watch your chins at Mania. They <laughs> they talked about that. Uh Bruce talked about that and uh your mother's a whore had to do that at least one time here for Brucey. Um, but yeah, love the Funker and love that punch as well. Yeah, when Terry when Terry died, uh Dave's write up on him is absolutely incredible. And his uh they they talked the, the observer radios from that time, there's probably four or five hours just of Terry Funk stories that like listen to him, man. You know, it's just listen to him because it's great. There's a story with him and Hulk Hogan um, that uh, him and Hulk had a dust up. And he said, well, F it. I'm going to bring in a bunch of uh, Japanese uh, camera crews and media and I'm going to kick your ass. And so everybody can see it. And Hulk wouldn't open the door. Like there's there's some <laughs> there's some really, really great stuff. And there's a whole bunch of nuggets with um, all the movies that you guys had said. Uh, Roadhouse, um, Paradise Alley, and Over the Top uh, that Dave has too, because the first time Terry retired, it was to be an actor. All right, number 36 on the countdown. This is somebody we've talked a lot about over the years, uh, especially recently. Uh, he comes in with 239 votes. He is on Andretti's list at 43. He's on Mongoose's list at 45. My list at 39 and JC's list at 38. And that is CM Punk. And I know that if you are a frequent listener of the show, we've talked a lot at nauseum about CM Punk over the last year and kind of what's going on. Um, I'm happy of the way that it's kind of going so far. Uh, we'll definitely see how it turns out here at the Royal Rumble uh, in next weekend. But um, a guy who for sure changed the way that professional wrestlers should be looked at. Not as much as what Daniel Bryan did alongside with Daniel Bryan, I would say so. Um, but all of the indie stuff that he did in Ring of Honor, uh, the summer of punk, going to WWE and kind of blazing his own trail within WWE and then left for seven years and then came back and then all that stuff with the brawl out and all that deal. To come back to WWE after all that uh, is pretty ballsy, 
uh, especially for all the things that have been said, but I'm uh, super excited for Punk's return. Um, things didn't pan out the way that they should have in AEW. Um, and, you know, bygones be bygones, and uh, let's see what he can do to finish out here his career. You have to appreciate the fact that people like him and the guy sells a lot of merchandise and he drives up ratings for an industry that gives us a lifetime worth of entertainment. But as a person, I mean, you guys know where I stand on the dude. You know, I I hope for the best. And you know what, man? Like, I hope for his sake, too. I, I really do hope for his sake, too, that, that he's on the right track now and everything is how, how sad would that be, man? How sad would that be for this, for this to be his last chance at, at showing everybody that he's not an idiot and for him to, him to go down in a, in a ball of flames, man, that would be really sad as a human being to see that man from a, for a person, you know, but hopefully, hopefully he's grown up a little bit and we can get a mature run here and, and he can sell a million shirts and a million, you know, million Peacock subscriptions and everything else and, and be a, be a real part of it and be a real part of, of helping, helping grow that company, man. I think that, I think that he's got a chance to do that. I hope that he does it. Uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that he does it. I know there's precedent that he won't, <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it seems like so far so good, but I'm, I'm rooting for him as a person to, to be a, a, an adult and be mature enough to understand what, what he has in front of him right now and to, and to take it and, and really do something special with it. I, I cursed and sweared his name for three years in the groups that I've been in with, with all you guys, um, because I was never part contemporaneously of a CM Punk run. So everything that I, my real reintroduction to wrestling uh, full-time came whenever he no-showed the Rumble. You know, like, that was pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And what happened was when he came back for that first uh, first dance, right? First dance was the first one at the at Chicago. Um, he came out and he sold out a building on a rumor, which is not easy to do. And that crowd was eating out of the palm of his hands and the promo that he gave brother that's that's all time stuff that's that's top 15 stuff like it really is and the fact that everything went down the way that it did is really frustrating um when dj who kid goes on the record now and says that uh some jerk off was trying to hijack the show and this nice Hawaiian man rallied the troops <laughs> to, to, to try to get everybody back out there. Um, you know, like it's, it is what it is, but I'm with you Andretti. And I said these words before that I would love for him to have a, a Michael style arc where a guy that's that good finishes it being like, not only reconsidered, but like, like, a legend that is able to give back the whole time. I would love for that to be him. And I'm hoping that that's it. But I'll tell you what, man, that first promo back, I got it. Like I absolutely understood then why John was like, see him punk so great. And I'm going to buy all of his shirts. I did totally understand. And the, the fact that he was able to come in and his matches in AW weren't any, they weren't bad. It's not like he had a bad match. 
It's just that the fit wasn't well. And so I'm hoping that he comes back, as you said, fresh paint of coat. Let's let's fix let's fix this. Let's right the wrongs and let's go out here being a universally, you know, viewed superstar. Because I think if he has a magical WWE run, he's an observer hall of famer, which I know that he's his percentage doesn't show it, but my God, man, he should be. So, but you got it. You got to prove it, right? So, John, I hope that you say all the good things about him after he beats Cody at night one at WrestleMania for the title. That's that's all I'm hoping is that you still have good things to say to, about him after he beats Cody night one. <laughs> I probably will be mother effing him, uh, but loving it at the same time. Uh, some career accolades here for CM Punk. He was the AEW World Champion three or two times, one time Real World Champion. Uh, he won the Iron Mike Award for the Cauliflower Alley Club in 2023. Uh, he also was in WWE, obviously the, the WWE Champion two times, World Heavyweight Champion three times, ECW Champion, Intercontinental Champion, Tag Team Champion. He's won the Money in the Bank in 2008 and 2009. And uh, he is the 19th Triple Crown winner for Observer. He was the best box office draw in 2021, best gimmick in 2009 and 2011, best interviews 2011, 2012. He had Feud of the Year in 2009 with Jeff Hardy, and then in 2011 with John Cena, most charismatic in 2021. And he had Pro Wrestling Match of the Year at Money in the Bank 2011 with John Cena. And that is something that we've already reviewed here on the show. So if you want to go back and check that out in the archives, we did a entire uh, retrospective on the Money in the Bank entire show from 2011. It's not easy to have a five-star match with John Cena. Yeah. And, and, and it's just because of the John Cena match, right? Like, he has the total formula. So if you have a five-star match with John Cena, like, you're you're legit. Yeah. And he's legit. He's legit, man. I can't say he's not. Did he get rid of that Lita tattoo? Did what? Did he get rid of that Lita tattoo? Is that tattoo still on his arm? I don't know. We might have to we might have to look at that. Do some investigating. Some investigative reporting. <laughs> yeah, he he had a, t- a tattoo with him and Lita somewhere in that arm sleeve of his. Wow. Guy that got around the locker room a lot. Yeah. Yeah, if I if I was AJ Lee, I'd have been skipping my way right to a a knife to cut that part of his arm off. <laughs> All right, coming in at number thirty five with two hundred fifty one. Sorry, <laughs> perfect lead in right into this. I don't even know what the hell I missed, other than you advocating for a homicide. What the hell? <laughs> I, I, I went to feed I, I went to feed the dogs and came back, and you were talking about stabbing somebody. It wasn't a it wasn't a homicide. It was it was more so I said a knife. I should have said an exacto knife. Just to just to cut part of a man's arm off. Because Punk had a tattoo of him and Lita on his arm. And I was wondering if that still existed. And at least and I said if I was AJ Lee, I'd have been doing that thing where she skips, but I'd have been skipping with an exacto knife and then I'd have grabbed him and I'd have just, you know, cut cut a Lita sized hole in his arm. Which leads us perfectly into our next entry into the countdown. Yeah, you're right about that. Number 35, 251 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 49. He was on Mongoose's list at 47. He was on my list at 26. And he was on JC's list at 31. And that is the rated R 
superstar Edge. And you know me. for me, I love I love me some Edge. I know that you guys are not at the same place with Edge as I am, uh, but Edge was Edge was like the guy that was trying to go against and break the mold before CM Punk ever got there. And uh, you know all of those feuds and with John Cena that he had, uh, uh, like there some of those matches are incredible. The matches with Undertaker, that Hell in a Cell. Uh, with Undertaker, the Edgeheads, the the fact that he had Edgeheads and these people that dressed up like him that didn't ever remotely look like him, but he used them as doubles in matches uh, is incredible. Uh, and the fact that you know he got the main event at at WrestleMania 24 with the Undertaker, um, and you know they were able to give him like that kind of match. That ended up being the main event in that WrestleMania. A good WrestleMania, by the way. Um, I, I just love Edge. It, you know, he got his career cut short uh, due to injury after WrestleMania. I believe that was 27. Um, and then he had to retire, comes back at that Royal Rumble. What was that, 2020? Um, I believe an insane pop. Like if you want to see a, in a, a great Royal Rumble moment, go back and watch. I, I'm pretty sure it's the 2021. It's a 2020 Royal Rumble or if it's that it might be 2019, but either way, I don't when, remember either. Whenever edge came back at that Royal Rumble, it was an insane pop. Didn't end up getting the run that he wanted, obviously because of the pandemic and all that. And then he got triple stacked by Roman at that WrestleMania. Um, kind of, meandered a little bit throughout this run, had an enormously long match with uh, Randy Orton at that uh, pandemic WrestleMania. It, it, it was 2020 because that match was at the pandemic mania. Yeah. And that match was seven and a half hours long. That was so long. Um, and then, you know, had the, we Andretti and I saw that WrestleMania match this year, that hell in a cell against Finn Balor. That was an awesome match. Uh, Brood edge. Might be edge. <laughs> it might be his last one we ever see him in because he's at AEW now. I mean, I'm I'm pulling for the guy. You know, I, I, he's another one with the with the A and E biographies. Um, that that like, episode with him is excellent. That's one of the best ones too, man. I think I think my my three favorite ones were Kane, um, Kane Copeland and uh, and um, uh, Luger. I think were my my three favorite ones so far that I've seen from those episodes, but. I mean, crazy story with that guy too, man. You know, growing up single family, you know, single mom, you know, trying to raise a kid and him, you know, meeting, um, you know, meeting Christian essentially in, in school and those guys becoming, you know, best friends immediately and getting into the business together and stuff like that. It's a really, it's a really cool story. His, his, his story of how he got to where he is is really cool. Um, but look, I'm pulling for the guy. I, I personally think that the WWE run um, is enough. For him to get into this into the Observer Hall of Fame, I I think that he should be in it, and I'm I I am pulling for him um, to do enough in this AEW run. Uh, I don't know what you know what what it'll be. Um, I'm pulling for him to do enough that it's going to solidify it. I really do. I, I wish he I wish he would stop cutting his own hair because his hair looks weird. <laughs> but other than that, um, I mean, when it, just the that that first night that he showed up in AEW with the, with the, the little entrance video and everything. And that place just exploded, man. Yeah. They, they blew the roof off of that place with him showing up. And, you know, I'm sure him and Kirsten are going to do business here for a little while yet and have a couple 
killer matches yet, but you know, he's just a guy that um, I didn't really love him during the WWE run, but um, I, I'm starting to, I'm starting to more and more appreciate it now. Luke going back and kind of looking at it again. Um, and, and I'm pulling for him. I, I hope, I hope it works out. I hope he makes a bunch of money. I hope that he can, he can do enough in AEW to get into the hall of fame. Cause I think he, I think he deserves it. Yeah. Edge for me is a, like, or I should say was a forever mid card title guy. And the big reason is that I skipped out on his run at the top of the card. So everything that I saw from his run at the top of the card was just all in retrospect. And so I always just viewed him as, yeah, good, but not great. You know, like he was, he was in that feud with Angle, which was a great feud with the Japanese hair company or shampoo company or whatever. And, it ended up uh, shaving Angle's head, uh, and like that—that that stuff was cool. But it, to me, it only elevated Angle. It didn't elevate Edge, and it's not like Edge wasn't good in it. He was, um, but when he came back at that Royal Rumble and got that response, that was a big deal. Uh, and the fact that he had a deal the way structured the way that it was where he was essentially only needing to work two or three matches a year. And then he got hurt in the middle of it. That certainly didn't help anything, but my God, dude, that match with uh, Seamus go. If you're going to watch an edge match, I hate to say it, watch the random SmackDown Toronto match that him and Seamus had. Cause that was freaking awesome. And so I'm with you, dude. I'm I'm hoping that this run for him is good. I personally don't think the WWE run gets him there. And the reason why is because it was so little dates that had so little movement. Like, especially if you look at things like, did he move ratings? Did he do anything like that? And we can look one-to-one at what did Roman do? What did Cena do? And those guys, and Cody, like those guys really moved numbers, whereas Edge literally was nothing whenever they did the you know the the quarter analysis and all that um but he's great he really is and to me top 50 is where he belongs so i'm glad that he's here um but yeah i'm 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 fingers crossed as well i hope that this aw run when he gets to the end of it he can work his 20 25 matches a year i hope that we get some of these big big bangers with danielson with omega you know with some of these guys dream match style and even with some of these new japan people like edge at forbidden door time will be really really interesting because you want to talk about somebody that we'd never see wrestle a whoever it might be naito suzuki yoda suji uh takagi like any of those would be awesome so i'm i'm, I'm excited for that as well yes yeah, some uh career accolades here are the aw champ or the tnt championship uh, and then uh, in WWE, he's a four-time WWE champion, seven-time World Heavyweight Champion, five-time Intercontinental Champion, won the U.S. Championship uh, once. He was a 12-time Tag Team Champion. Uh, he also won the uh, – well, he's a 14-time Tag Team Champion. He won King of the Ring in 2001. He won the uh, inaugural Money in the Bank. And then whenever he cashes that in at New Year's Revolution, uh, 2006 is – one of the best moments I think that you're ever going to get. Uh, he's a uh, third uh, Grand Slam champion. Um, and 
also for the Observer stuff, he had match of the year in 2002 with Rey Mysterio and Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, the four-way at No Mercy. Uh, he was tag team of the year with Christian in 2000 as well. I mean, that's all pretty impressive stuff. Yes. Was the live sex celebration at Hershey or State College? I believe State College. All right. Shouts out to you, Edge. Live sex celebration right in our backyard. Uh, also, <laughs> um... <laughs> Oh, man, I forgot my second point. <laughs> I did. Dang it. Move on. Uh, number 34. Coming in with 251 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 47. He was on Mongoose's list at 50. He was on my list at 27. And he was on JC's list at 29. And that is Razor Ramon Scott Hall. And... When you think of, like, iconic characters, not only from the new generation era, but then you go to the Attitude Era, where you have the Outsiders, he was, he's at the top of both of them. Um, I can't think of a more iconic character during the new gen era, and definitely somebody, this is somebody that never won a world championship. People, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Somebody that never, ever won uh, the world championship that absolutely should have. It's. I thought he was AWA champ. He, I guess he technically was AWA, but I don't know if. It was also predated our thing, didn't it? I don't, I don't think. I'm going to look. Oh, no, I guess you're right. Because he would have had that in like the, ah, it would have been close. I'm it's, one of, right. it's one of the things that one of those guys that should have absolutely probably should have been given a major championship in one of the biggest in, in the two biggest promotions uh, in the history of the business uh, and just never did um, a guy that, you know, just an iconic gear from in, in both places that he went to um, iconic entrances. And whenever he comes in at that nitro and cuts the original outsiders promo, I, it's, Amazing. I don't um, see his name on the list, but I think now that I'm starting to think about it, I, I think that the story was they were going to make him champ, right? I, I think left for he left for WCW, I believe. It might have been. That sound that sounds right though. I forget, man. I forget the story. I have heard that. But regardless, I mean they had an opportunity for him with him and WWE when they just hit they hit, you know, a gold mine with Razor Ramon. They could have pushed all their chips into the middle of the table on Razor Ramon and made that guy that world champ at that point, for sure. I thought I thought that's where they were headed. I thought he was going to end up being a world champ in WWE at some point. Well, his his debut feud is him teaming with Ric Flair versus Macho and the Ultimate Warrior, which the Warrior leaves, so it ends up being Macho and Perfect, but. Your debut feud is you in a tag match with three of the biggest names in the history of the world. And then your first big singles match is literally him and Bret Hart for the championship at Rumble 93. Now, the crazy thing with that is that he did, you know, he came in as a heel and made one, two, three kid. And in making one, two, three kid, the bad thing for him is that he demoted himself from the top of the card 
right? You can't lose to the Lightning Kid and then fight for the world championship. Um, but what he did do is Razor is one of those stalwart workhorses that kept the IC title as important as the world title through the mid-90s. Yeah. Like that IC title was everything from the mid-80s through the mid-90s. And he's one of the guys, man. And him having those matches with Michaels, they were so, so good. And the character, as you said, was great. Um, the Gold Dust stuff, I do remember just being so weirded out that Gold Dust wanted to sleep with him. I didn't understand why he kept wanting to kiss him and stuff like that. Um, and then he disappears, and then he shows up in a cut-off Canadian tuxedo on Nitro. And, you know, the, the rest is history. Um, but the reason that I have Scott Hall lower is because if he was that dude, he'd have got a run. Well, because yeah. that WCW man, they were the kings of the world. And if they wanted him to run with the belt or run with the belt, wanted him to be the face of the company, they would have, and they didn't. And at WWF, same deal. You know, it was Diesel, not him, mm-hmm. that ended up being the click guy that got the run. And so I, I hate to say it, but that demoted him a little bit for me. But I did have him in that 50-ish number because he was so, so good. Um, the other thing that really killed Scott Hall for me, though, not not putting him any higher, is the fact that his run was over once he was out of that WCW, or excuse me, um, the WWF NWL run. Yeah. When, when, when he was too banged up to continue to have a contract there, and then they let him go to original NWA TNA, and he showed up looking like I would in trunks, that's a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he didn't care anymore. And the worst thing is that, that he didn't need to care anymore. Like, he was about money. Like, he was one of the original ones. He was the one that got Kevin Nash to jump because he said, hey, they're paying me this much money to come here. Let's go get paid. And he didn't care what belt he held. He didn't care anything. He just wanted those checks to cash, and he just wanted to, you know. So good for him. But once it was over, it was over. And that's sad, is that he never had that, like, resurgence kind of run that a lot of these guys did later on. Was that was that Austin Batch the last good match you think he was a part of? It was, and Austin hated every second of it. And right. Austin... Austin wanted to work with the NWO, like like for the for the the clout or whatever, but he wanted nothing to do with Scott Hall because he trusted Scott Hall nil. Um, I did love the, the Scott Hall stunner cell is one of my favorite stunner cells oh, it's ever. My, though. It's my favorite. It's my favorite yep. one. Yeah, yep. that was me. But, but yeah, I, I know Austin was Austin was not happy about that at all. Like uh, uh, like I think that Austin wanted Hogan. And he didn't get Hogan, and um, he was not happy with having Hall. And Hall just being on the drink and on the whatever the whole time was not a good mix. Yeah, from that's for WrestleMania 18, and I believe there was supposed to be something that was supposed to go down with Austin that was going to involve the Outsiders, but then Kevin Nash blew his quad once out of like 100 times that he's done in his career. 
and then uh, Hogan obviously ended up getting Rock. For the match. Well, the, the and, and, and the, well, the the Hogan Nash came in injured, just like you said. It, I mean, he didn't blow his quad, but he came in injured, and and they gave Rock to Hogan, and Hall was the one left. And the crazy thing is that was the best match, and Austin wasn't happy. I do absolutely remember remember that. Yeah. But yes, that was his, his best last match because my God, that NWA TNA stuff is bad. I mean, yeah. even for the even for the you know the the demons and everything else that the guy you know tragically had went through in his life and had to deal with that. I mean, it's still a, a guy that is so important to the industry. I mean, you just think about just the importance of Scott Hall mm-hmm. um, to the the new gen and then into the NW, NWO stuff, and you know, I mean, that's it's he's he's. He, you know, whether right place at the right time or whatever it is, man. I mean, that's a super important guy to both of those, both of those spots in wrestling history, man. You can't, you can't deny that. Yeah, he won the uh, World Television Championship one time. He was U.S. Heavyweight Champion two times. He won World War Three in '97, and he was a World Tag Champion seven times in WCW. In WWE, he was a four-time Intercontinental Champion. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014 individually, and then. uh in 2020 uh, for the new world order and then he won match of the year in 1994 with the uh, wrestlemania 10 ladder match in the observer yeah and coincidentally coming up here the next entrant uh with the same exact number of votes with 251 he was on uh mongoose's list at 28 he was on or he was on andretti's list at 28 he was on Mongoose's list of 66. He was on my list at 31. And he's on JC's at 28. And that's, you know, his tag team partner. It's Kevin Nash. The first thing I would say about Nash is that, in a good way, that Nash is living proof in American, you know, American wrestling that um, you don't have to be the greatest technical worker in the world to be super charismatic and get over and just be somebody who was very believable, right? You don't have, you don't have to be in there doing all the freaking, all the, you know, the Kurt Angle stuff or the, the Eddie stuff or whatever, you know, to, to get over with the crowd being a great technical wrestler, um, to, to be a big, a big, uh, a big superstar. And I think Kevin Nash is probably, probably the biggest example of that. It may be in, in the last, you know, 30, 40 years of somebody that was a mega star, um, and, and deserved it. Um, and, and just was not that guy in the ring, man. And that, that's, you know, that's a testament to, to him to play to his own strengths, man. And I know there's people that, people that, you know, they give him a little bit of, a little bit of grief about, you know, only doing five or six moves in the ring. But dude, when you, when you know your strengths and people, uh, people pop for it and you do your, your stuff in the, in the ring and it's, it's, it's beloved and everyone's behind, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with playing to your strengths whenever, whenever you're a guy like that. So hats off to him, man. I'm glad the guy made a ton of money, and he was a, just like Scott Hall. He's a super important guy to to the new gen era and to the um, and to the the NWO WCW when wrestling was bigger than it ever was. You know, so you you got you got to give him props for that stuff. Yeah, I I love I love me some Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is so awesome. You know, him coming in as Shawn Michaels' lackey uh, as Diesel. And then, you know, we talked about it on here on the show before with Two Dudes with Attitudes, how incredible of a short period, but how awesome that group is. Um, And, you know, him jumping, him literally 
you know, sending the the facts whenever he was at WCW and sending the facts to get to, to WWF was insane. Um, and then him actually, you know, having Scott Hall uh, get him back to WCW whenever Scott Hall made the jump for the Outsiders. Uh, that that first promo that he had, you know, look at the adjective here when I hear to play or whatever, which actually isn't really an adjective or, or the verb or whatever he said it was is not actually what it really was. Um, just him powerbombing uh, Bischoff at Great American Bash. He he was awesome. And then he does the, the Wolfpack gimmick. Like, there's only very few people in the business that could have pulled off the Wolfpack, and he w- him being the leader of the Wolfpack was incredible. Well, look, look even too, look even farther, going back even farther with, with him, where that's a guy that got into the industry that went through a couple different gimmick changes that were completely horrendous. You know, we look, we, I mean, the three of us love it because we love that kind of stuff, but you know, Oz is not good. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, uh, the Vinny Vegas thing is not good. I mean, when he was in the, uh, what was the, what was the tag team he was in with the, with the other guy, they were the, oh my God, the metal something or whatever. What were they called? Uh, Mongoose. I, I, I only, I only can recall Oz and Vinny Vegas. I don't, I don't even know. He was in a tag team with a guy that quit after the first, first match, I think. Oh my God! What the heck were they called? I can't even think of it now. But he had he had black makeup on his face. <laughs> but they uh, they were uh, I forget. But I mean, you talk about a guy that had another. You know, you you got to stick with it sometimes, right? And try to figure out whether or not you actually want to be a part of a a part of an industry like that. But they they tried to kill him dead a couple times with a couple different gimmicks in WCW before he finally jumped jumped ship and became Diesel. And, you know, I, I love Diesel, man. Look, I, I think Diesel's awesome. I love the music. I love the presentation. The look is great. Um, I, I freaking love that guy, man. The matches he had with Hart and matches he had with Sean. I know that those guys make people look really good. I understand that. And, but, you know, the, you, those, are, those are awesome matches, man. You can watch his matches any day of the week. And so I have him. I have him at 66 because I – I, I'll give my personal takes on him in a second, but it's only because of that. Because if I was going off of all the other criteria that I graded a lot of other people on, I'd probably actually have him lower than 66. And the main reason is the fact that, and, and this is just being objective, the diesel title run flopped, right? Not, not good for business as low as they've ever done, and they put the belt on him for a year and it didn't work. And then in WCW, when he goes and gets the title again, gets finger finger poke of doom, leads back into the immediate downward spiral of WCW. And it's those two big reasons that personally – I was like, and the fact that he's not a great worker is that I would have had him even lower if I didn't love him so much. (laughs) Now, now here's why I love him so much. Reason one is that his turn on Sean, and I said on the pod at the holiday show that I hated heel Sean so much. And when he turned on Sean, I was just here to party 
and I loved me some Babyface Diesel. Now, I was one of a growing audience of people that were watching in 1995 that really liked Babyface Diesel, but I was all about it, man. And when he went and did his, like, grayish kind of half turn after um, after the Sean won the title and this was leading into his match with Taker, uh, he said, I'm only going to shake your hand in the stands if you have a black glove on. And I got tickets to a, rest, uh, to a WWF show at the Johnstown War Memorial, and I went to Wilson Leather, mm-hmm. and I got two uh, biker gloves. And I had one, and I gave one to my little sister. And he didn't even look at people that had bare hands. <laughs> and he put the firmest, deepest bro shake on 10-year-old me that you would ever imagine, man. And that was a huge deal. It really was because he said it on he said it on the promo, you better have a black glove. And by damn it, I had a black glove. And so did my sister. And he gave us the love for it. And I thought that was awesome. I love Two Dudes with Attitudes. It's my favorite short-run tag team of all time. Um, uh, The WrestleMania match is very good, but Good Friends, Better Enemies is a great, great match. Him and Sean, where where it's his last pay-per-view match, is so good. And again, the reason that I don't have him higher is that his best matches are with Sean and Brett which my best matches would be with Sean and Brett. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so that is what it is. Um, but this, he's great, man. He is. And when he came back and he came back for that NWO run and they introduced Sean in the NWO and all that, I was all about it. And then he runs in in that 10 man tag and blows out his quad. And then that's done. Like, so he was, you know, he was sort of done there. I mean, I know he has that TNA run afterwards, but to me, he's magic, but being objective, 60s is the highest that I could put him, but I'm really glad he's here because I, I do, I do, I do, I love the guy. And the best thing about Kevin Nash is that you're never going to hear one wrestler that didn't get like, you know, their entire career train wrecked by him, which is a couple, uh, but you're never going to hear like bros in the back being like, man, I hate Kevin Nash. Because they all have these stories of, ah, oh, I was drinking red wine with Kevin Nash and, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so there's that too. He, th- that dude's so cool. He does yeah. exude coolness. You watch his shoot interviews, man, and he's sitting there and he'll make you believe every word he says. And that's exactly why, you know, he had as much pull as he did in the locker room. Because he pulls you right in, dude. He really does. Yep. Um, the tag team was called the Master Blasters in WCW. And he was Steel, and the other guy was Iron. And I think Iron quit after one match and was replaced by the Master Blasters. I think, yeah. (laughs) And they were booked, they were built from the Steel Mines. So that's pretty awesome. In in WCW, he was a five-time WCW heavyweight champion. He was nine-time tag team champion. Uh, he's a part of the winning team in World War Three in nineteen, or you know, he won World War Three in nineteen ninety eight. He uh, won the Cannonball Champion of Spring Break in nineteen ninety eight, uh, and then in WWF he was the World Heavyweight Champion, uh, Intercontinental Champion, two time Tag Team Champion. Went into the Hall of Fame two times uh, in two thousand fifteen individually, then and 
2020 as a member of the NWO. He had best gimmick in 1996, obviously because the NWO, uh, but he was most improved uh, winner in 1994. Also had that match with that size W cupped porn star. (laughs) Yes, in WCW. Yeah, that happened. That did happen. All right, our last two we got coming in at 254 votes. He was on Andretti's list at 35. He was on Mongoose's list at 44. He was on my list at 35 and JC's at 35. And that is John Moxley. So I'll let uh, Andretti take it away here. Um, the thing I would say about Moxley, um, I didn't really like Dean Ambrose when he was in WWE. Um, I, I really was not a fan at all. Um, and they just kept making him worse and worse. And there towards the end when he was wearing the gas mask and all that stupid stuff. Um, look, but I mean, hats off to that guy, man, for him um, leaving the company and, and going and kind of reinventing himself. And he really has done a great job. He's done a, a really great job on his own and, and you know, kind of reinventing his own his own look and his character and trying to figure out, you know, who he was as a, as a person and had the kid and got married and, all, and you know, got off the got off the drink and all that stuff. Um, but you know, that guy is so, he's so important to AEW and he's so valuable to them, um, that, you know, you really got to give that guy a lot of credit because he's had just, just great match after great match, um, outside of the WWE system, um, since he left there and is he my favorite in the world? No, he's not, he's not my favorite in the world. Um, you know, AEW probably puts him on TV a little too much, but, the fact that that guy, you know, for better or worse, will give everything he's got in a match um, when he gets out there in front of the crowd and loves to entertain and just does a great job, whether it's in AEW or New Japan or no matter where he's at, or showing up on an indie show and, and, and killing himself and killing everybody else in the process. I mean, the guy just, he just is a, he's, he's really an entertainer, man, and loves doing what he does. And it's it's pretty cool to see that. It's pretty cool to see somebody who's willing to do that, who's willing to go all over the all over the world to entertain and, and go in front of twenty five people and, and and do the same stuff there than he would in at the Tokyo Dome, right? I mean, that's that. It's really cool to see that kind of stuff. And as a as a fan, um, I appreciate that, and I I do love the fact that I can you know two o'clock in the morning on a on a Saturday night when I'm half in the bag and I'm looking for an indie show that I want to watch and I pull something up on fight or I pull something up on YouTube or whatever, some show from earlier that day or something that might even be live overseas at that point. And Moxley's on the show. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll check this out. I'll, I'll watch this. I'll watch this crazy show with uh, Moxley, you know, taking on some guy that I probably never heard of, you know, but it's always, it's always entertaining. He always does a great job. Yeah, John Moxley, I uh, can't say that I like the Dean Ambrose character, uh, was pretty well. They ran him into the ground, but him coming in and being the stalwart of AEW and uh, him being the pulling case of emergency champion and just being the um, the rudder for the boat and just being, like, the calming, like, if if all else fails, we have John Moxley. Um, and I, I that alone speaks volumes. And, you know, and the fact that he came in with, like, the the biggest group that's probably shaped this uh, generation of wrestling, The Shield. He's one of the, the three guys that, you know, both of both of them are at the top of the card in, at their respective companies uh, with Reigns and uh, Seth Rollins. And 
you know, Moxley, like he, yes, he does bleed ridiculous amounts every single match. It's what to expect, but uh, the dude puts in the work and I, I, I don't even know what more to say. His initial run whenever he was chasing Jericho to become the champion was insane. And I feel like that is probably, it's not the best. I, I don't, I feel like that might be the best stuff that he's ever done. I know that he's probably done better, but to me, like that just sticks in my mind forever. I so I only have him at forty four because Punk is it, Punk's probably the closest to the bullseye we got, right? Yeah. In terms of graphing everybody, the only I, I don't know. A little, it might have been Dustin. It might have been Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, Dustin Rhodes is really close too. You're right yeah. about that. The only reason that I had him a little lower is because of the Observer Hall of Fame rule. That's the the, the only the only reason. Um, John Moxley to me. Uh, like I am a John Moxley guy, man. Like I, I, I buy it all. Um, John, you said that that chase was the best. I will dispute you uh, and be a wrestling nerd here and say that his G one run is the best John Moxley in the history of John Moxley. And the only reason why is he actually went there first before he was fully immersed in AEW. And he, that was sort of his like cleansing. Do you know what I mean? And so he showed up at double or nothing, which we lost our minds whenever he, uh, dirty deeds, Omega into that poker chip. And then he carries that momentum into a G one. And he started out like four and oh, and he was having insane G one matches with your, Ishii's and people like that. Mm-hmm. So that, and that was Pete Moxley because that was Moxley that had something to prove. Do you know what I mean? Like that was o- the only reason that I put it any higher. Uh, but look, dude, he is on TV too much and you can say that, but you know what? I said Steve Austin was on TV too much in the early 2000s and every th- single retrospect thing you hear is, why wasn't Steve Austin on TV more? Yeah. He's the biggest star you have. That's going to be Moxley. And the crazy thing is that Moxley was the newest Steve Austin before there was this new run of like your Kevin Owens and these other sort of types. But Moxley out of that, out of that group, Moxley had more Austin in him than any of them in just, and he does it now, man, his double birds and his screaming F you and the crowd eats it up, dude. They really do. And this guy is a killer and he gives everything. He was in the Continental Classic only so he could lose to Eddie Kingston. Yeah. And that's awesome. That is awesome, dude. That they they had a guy that was so top-notch in a tournament that didn't have all top-notch people. They had him in there to lose to Eddie. And that's why Daniel Bryan's the man, too, or Brian Danielson. Is it was the same reason? Is we're in this tournament to have great matches and then put over Eddie, and I I, I think I think the world of Moxley, dude. I do. When he's in the Observer Hall of Fame, I'll have him in the top twenty in five years. Yes, he is a three-time AEW uh, champion. He was the one-time uh, interim world champion. He's a one-time international champion. Uh, he won the Grand Slam tournament of champions in twenty twenty-two. Uh, he also, in New Japan Pro Wrestling, he's won the uh, United States Heavyweight Championship twice. 
in WWE. He was uh, a WWE champion, a three-time Intercontinental champion, a, U, uh, a U.S. champion, a Raw Tag Team champion two times. He was the 27th Triple Crown champion. He is the eighth Grand Slam champion, and he uh, won the Money in the Bank in 2016. Uh, as far as Observer Awards go, he's best brawler from uh, 2020 to 2022. Uh, he best pro wrestling book, uh, the Mox book that I have um, in 2021. Feud of the year with Eddie Kingston in 2020. Um, the United States Canada MVP in 2020 and 2022. Wrestler of the year 2020 and in 2022. And uh, that's, I mean, what more can you say about John Moxley? Our final entrant on the countdown today, coming in with 269 votes. He's on Andretti's list at 34. He was on Mongoose's list at 48. He was on my list at 20. And he was on JC's list at 33. And that is the Apex Predator, the legend killer, Randy Orton. And for somebody like myself who I grew up in the Ruthless Aggression era... Seeing Randy Orton start in the Evolution faction and then that turn with the thumbs down that Triple H gave and then him beating Triple H at SummerSlam 2004 and being crowned the youngest champion uh, at the time in company history and then everything that he's gone on to do since is insane. Um, Randy is probably in the last five years has probably done his best work that he's probably ever done. Um, and he's only getting better. He's just came back. Uh, he, you know, he had that uh, feud with the undertaker. He had our under, he had a match with undertaker like his in 2005, which was like the year after he was the youngest world champion, like the following year at WrestleMania 21, he had that match with undertaker at WrestleMania. Um, just a guy that he's another guy that had a ton of feuds, uh, probably overexposed, uh, just because of how long he's been in WWE and rightfully so. Um, but a guy that has always been at the top of the card, uh, had great uh, WrestleMania matches with Triple H, uh, Undertaker, John Cena, like they've all been amazing. Um, and and I, I, I just love Randy Orton and uh. I just can't. I just can't say enough good things about Randy Orton. I love Randy Orton. I mean, the, the talent with him is off off the chart. I mean, when 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 Orton wants to be really great and have an unbelievable match, um, he's one of the best that they've had in thirty years. You know, but I think kind of what uh, you know what's what's kind of dogged him a little bit. And you know, look, man, it's probably it's probably also just a a, a, a product of the fact that there wasn't any competition. For WWE, um, maybe that's part of it. But um, what's kind of plagued him too is just the he, he he did not always give the best effort. There's been a lot of long stretches of Randy's career where the effort wasn't great, and he would get in there and, and kind of mail it in a little bit and still be a top guy, you know. But again, when that guy wants to be awesome, he's fantastic. He's one of the best they've ever had. He's one of the best success stories of that company, a guy that grew from from their, you know, came from OVW that they put in OVW. I mean, they put him there to get trained, and he's he is absolutely one of their own people that they've grown from the from the ground up. Um, one of the greatest ever, man, to ever do it. And he's got an unbelievable career. 
I, I, I hope that he gets into the Observer Hall of Fame. I'm sure he probably will. Um, he looks fantastic right now. He came back, you know, bigger than ever. Um, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's ways around the wellness policy. I'm sure, you know, but there's, (laughs) you know, he's another guy, you know, he came back and um, from a crazy injury that people said he'd never get in the ring again. And he's back and um, I'm pulling for him because the effort has been pretty damn good so far since he's been back. And I hope that's, that stays the way it is. And he ends up getting into the, into the observer hall of fame, man. I really do. And look, that Observer Hall of Fame, not everybody cares about it, but it's historians, it's people that that are former former talents that vote for that stuff. And when you're um, when you're voted in by your peers and you're voted in by people that write books about the industry um, and, and write you know historical pieces about it, man, it's a big deal. You should want to be. You should want to do that, man. You should want to be in the Observer Hall of Fame. You know, just as much as you want to be in the Hall of Fame of uh, of your own company. You know, I mean, if I was if I was somebody that made you know soft drinks, I'd want to be I'd want to be in the soft drink Hall of Fame, not just in the Pepsi Hall of Fame, right? That's what it is. So I'd, I'd rather I'd rather be in the College Football Hall of Fame than be in the Penn State Hall of Fame, if that makes sense. So you should you should want to be in the College Football Hall of Fame, right? So you should you should want to be in the Observer Hall of Fame. That's the way I look at it, and I'm pulling for him. I, I really hope I really hope he goes out on his own terms and doesn't get injured doesn't get injured again and has a, another couple of years in him where he can do what he wants to do and have fun with this and make some more money and then you you know ride off into the sunset on his own. He is year by year voted the highest from former wrestlers. And that's how, that's how you know how good Randy Orton is, Yeah, is that his own peers vote him. It, the funny thing is that the other people aren't as kind to him. And the reason they aren't is because if you think about it there, Andretti, what you just said about him being like, you know, sort of mailing it in a little bit, the workers get it, right? They're like, well, this guy's drawing money and he's not killing himself and he's X, Y, and Z. The problem is that he has not delivered the consistent Kurt Angle matches, Rey Mysterio matches, you know, some of those. However, dude's an icon and dude's an all-timer. Uh, I Will he get in? I don't know. It, that That will be a really interesting thing. I think that if he doesn't get in on this run that he's here now, uh, that he will be someone that has historically put in, but uh, it, it's tough. The crazy thing is when I think of Randy Orton, I think really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, like I do. I, I think really, really good it is really, really good Hall of Fame. It shouldn't be. But when you're really, really good for as many years as he's been really, really good, then that's another story because I do think longevity has something to say about that. But yeah, dude, Randy Orton's great. Uh, if Cody doesn't face CM Punk for the title. John, I hope you still like Randy Orton whenever <laughs> Cody's beaten Randy Orton in the semi-main of night two of WrestleMania. Um, but yeah, the, this this second run he's on is great. My God, he's built like three linebackers morphed into one person, like yeah. Megazorded. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm here for it. His accomplishments include a 10-time world uh, uh, WWE champion. He's been the world heavyweight champion four times. He was intercontinental champion one time, United States champion, uh, tag team champion with Edge, Raw tag team champion two times with Matt Riddle. Yuck. 
Uh, he was the SmackDown Tag Team Champion uh, with Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper. He won the Money in the Bank in 2013. He's won the Ro- Royal Rumble uh, 2009 and 2017. He is the 17th Triple Crown Champion, and he is the 10th uh, Grand Slam Champion. And in terms of uh, Observer, he is the most improved of 2004, and uh, he's had not favorable stuff uh here also on the observer because it seems like people in the observer hate him uh but that is the uh, countdown today that is the full uh list there from 40 to 31 and uh make sure you join us next week we're going to be taking a look at the forgotten royal rumble uh which is royal rumble 2004 so uh pretty excited about that one it kind of gets us prepped for uh, the royal rumble next weekend and then uh, the following week, we'll uh, review the Royal Rumble that takes place next Saturday night. So um, thank you to uh, Justin Andretti and Teddy Mongoose. Make sure you download, like, review, and subscribe to the channel. And with that, we will see you next time on the Podski. Ski.